Let me invite you at this time to take your copy of God's Word, trusting you brought it with you, and turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. And let's lay eyes together on God's holy and inerrant and infallible and sufficient and authoritative Word. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 5. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. The grass withers And the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Let's pray. Lord our God, please we pray. Bless the preaching of your word. Take your truth, drive it into our hearts. It is life to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the greatest achievements that a pitcher can have in a career is to throw a no-hitter. That is... In, in nine innings, not to allow a single runner uh, to, to reach first base. Well, on June 2nd, 2010, the Detroit Tigers were playing the Cleveland Indians. And a pitcher by the name of Armando Galarraga was on the mound. And he had gotten 26 consecutive outs. And he was down to the very last out. And he threw the pitch... The ball was softly grounded to the second baseman who lobbed it over to the first baseman who put his foot on first base. And Jim Joyce, the umpire, called him safe. The no-hitter was over. It was a terrible call. (laughs) After the game, in fact, the umpire, Jim Joyce, who had been umpiring National League games or or MLB games for 23 years, missed the call and went to the pitcher, Galarraga, and tearfully confessed his wrong. It was devastating. Mr. Joyce went on for another five years or so to umpire games, but that has lingered over his career even to today. You and I miss calls all the time, don't we? As Christians, we have a deep concern for righteousness and wickedness, for sin and for what is right, for right and wrong. We have a deep concern for these things, for sin and repentance. Yet we often fail to distinguish between the two, don't we? It is not easy. Have you ever judged someone's character wrongly? Looked at someone's appearance? Judged perhaps a young man to be a hoodlum, not deserving of your time, and then he assisted you get the groceries into your car? This is what happens on a daily basis. What gives? 
What makes us such terrible judges of men's character? But so confident in our ability to judge it. The issue, as Jesus will point out to us this morning, is blindness. Blindness is the issue. And it is what Jesus addresses in his statement here in verses uh, 1 to 5 of chapter 7. What he teaches us really simply is that those who judge others wrongly bring judgment on themselves. But Christ is able to remove our blindness and make us better judges of ourselves and of others. Notice the first thing we see here in verses 1 to 2, that judging others brings judgment. Judging others brings judgment. He begins here, judge not, literally, stop judging so that you be not judged. So we begin with a command here, just as we did with the previous statement when he said, stop being anxious. He says here, stop judging, stop doing it. This is the godless man's favorite verse, isn't it? This is the life verse of the atheist. It is the life verse of the man who wants to justify wrong actions when he says to you, stop judging me. Haven't you read in the Bible, kind of like the author to the Hebrews, it says somewhere in Scripture, stop judging or you yourself will be judged. In some sense, these godless men, they're right. I'm no one to judge on my own. And that's how Jesus confronts us. The word here, to judge, it means to determine. In its very simple essence, it means to determine what is right and wrong. You think of a judge on the bench. What is his work? What is he trying to do? Or a just attorney. What is he trying to do? He's trying to distinguish right from wrong. And that's not always easy, is it? Here, Jesus is commanding us to recognize the limitation that we have in our ability to judge other men. But why are we limited? Why is it so hard for us to make right judgments about other men? Very simply, you cannot see the heart. We are either too harsh or we're too lenient. We're too strict or we're too give too much license. You think about the illustration in the Old Testament of Saul. Do you remember how Saul was chosen to be king in the Old Testament? We learn in 1 Samuel chapter 9 that essentially they did a survey of the community. They saw the tallest guy in town and they said, he looks like a king. And so they all brought Saul forward and there was this whole process where Samuel was calling them by tribe and then he called each clan in the tribe to come forward. And they're thinking, where is Saul? Where is Saul? This tall man who looks like a king. Do you remember where he was? Hiding in the baggage. They had to go move all the suitcases and pull the guy out so they could anoint him as the king. And then finally, after God rejected Saul as king, he said these important words. He said, I look on the heart. You look on the outward appearance. I look on the heart. Compare Saul to Christ. Who we learn in Isaiah 52. 
did not look kingly and yet had every characteristic that a king required. Jesus here in the very beginning is teaching that, that this is a wicked practice. We judge on appearances. Oh, we think I've got the gift of discernment. You're giving yourself just a license to judge men on their appearances. And you and I, what Jesus is calling us to do in this passage is recognize the tendency to judge appearances and to put it to death, to stop doing it, to say, this is evil, it's wrong. There is more to a man than what he looks like. You and I, we are fundamentally ignorant. We don't, we don't want to determine the motive. You, we're, we're lazy. We don't want to take the time to weigh the evidence. My children come into me. They say, he hit me. Well, she lied about me. I don't want to take the time to figure out who's right and who's wrong to call witnesses. So I just say, you're all punished. Everybody's getting a spanking. And we wonder why our society cannot tell the difference between justice and evil. We're lazy. We're quick to judge. And all of these characteristics of us, our laziness, make us poor judges of men. And Jesus, therefore, says to you, stop judging. But he goes on and he, he tells us why we have to be cautious in our judgment, doesn't he? Look at verse 2. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. There's these an interesting combination of, of triplet words in the Greek. He says, uh, the way that you judge, you will be judged. With the judgment that you judge, you will be judged. With the measure that you measure, you, it will be measured out to you. What is he saying? Judgment means condemnation. And measure means generosity. To the degree that you are harsh in your judgment, that God will be harsh with you. To the degree that you are generous in your judgment, God will be generous to you. But, but here's what it really boils down to. Do you want God, the Son of God, at His great white throne judgment, to sit there and judge people, to judge you the way that you have judged others? Do you want your standard of judgment to be the standard that Christ uses? Do you know what would happen? Well, for some, it would mean that, well, all rich people are right and all poor people are wicked, or vice versa. Or the man who wears Walmart shoes is the one who deserves to go to hell. This is the way that we judge. Do you want Christ to use your standard of judgment? Do you? If you search your heart and know yourself well, is that the standard that you want Christ to use? Would righteous men be condemned? Do you think? If your standard or mine was used, do you think that wicked men might go free? This is what Jesus is commanding us to consider. What he is doing in this moment is he is pressing you away from your own standards of judgment. When he says, stop it, 
Stop. The the fatal flaw in our judgment is that we are content to look on the outward appearance of men. We cannot assess the intents, the thoughts, the motives of the heart. In fact, what do you think is one of the most difficult things for an attorney, for a prosecutor to prosecute when he has a witness on the stand or he's got a defendant there? What is it? What is the motive? What's the motive? What led to this crime? We, we, in our culture, we have an entire category of crimes called hate crimes. How do you determine if a crime was driven by hate? How do you determine hate? Do we determine a hate crime to be a father who abandoned his family? Do we determine a hate crime to be a father who refuses to discipline his children? Because the scriptures say that is to hate your son. Are those hate crimes? You see how difficult it is? Was a man led by hatred to kill his wife or his neighbor? Well, yeah, in every single occasion. Justice and right judgment, we remember here, are critical elements of Christ's kingdom. Do you know that? Christ loves justice. He loves it. In Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7, we're reminded that His kingdom is a kingdom of justice and the government will be upon His shoulders. Therefore, He speaks to us in this way because His people must also be people who love justice, who pursue justice in their own lives and in their communities. Imagine if He judged the way that we do. Recently, there's been some news about the district attorney in Los Angeles who sentenced an 18-year-old girl who physically and sexually abused a 10-year-old girl and decided to try her as a juvenile so that she would not have to register as a sex offender. Well, guess what? It's re-election time. And guess who's backing off? And deciding now to try some of these juveniles as adults, as he should have done in the beginning. What's happening here is that justice is meeting money. And we see this over and over and over in our culture, in our society, even within ourselves. That we define justice and we use, we define justice poorly and we use bad standards for judgment. But the same corruption that exists in the heart of District Eternity Gascon in Los Angeles exists in my heart and yours. And it blinds us to proper judgment. It afflicts us in judgment. And it afflicts those who make themselves anxious in this life. As Jesus has already said, we don't look at things correctly. And so here Jesus comes to correct our perspective. You have to remember here that those who judge wrongly bring judgment on themselves. But there's a second thing that Jesus teaches us. He teaches us how to become better judges of men. Notice with me verses 3 and 5. 
Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? So here we have a parable. We might call it the parable of the speck and the log. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but you do not see the log that is in your own eye? Here, here he, he boils it down for us. What, what's the issue? Why do I find it, why is it so difficult for me to judge men? Why, why can't I determine what a man's motivation is? Why can't I see his heart or interpret his actions properly? Well, Jesus says, you see other men's sins as great, but you don't see your own sin at all. In fact, your own sin makes you blind to the sins of other men. You see the speck in your brother's eye. In some older translations, this was called a mote, an M-O-T-E, a, a little tiny wisp of dust that you see in your brother's eye, but you don't see the log in your own eye. How, how do I know? How, how do I know that I find that I'm seeing the speck in my brother's eye, but I don't see the log in my own eye? How do I know that that's the case? Well, because you are quick to accuse and slow to forgive. Because you withhold reconciliation from others and you keep them at arm's length, even after they've confessed their sin. And because you are unwilling and unable to deal with sin in your own life, do you, do you recognize this about yourself? That you are unwilling and unable to deal with sin in your own life? It's not pleasant business, is it? I prefer to think that I'm a pretty good guy. I prefer to think that if, if someone looks at me sideways, it's their fault, not mine. I look in the mirror and I see a head full of hair. No faults whatsoever. No matter what my daughter says to me. You and I are unwilling and unable to deal with sin in our own lives. I don't want to do it. It's like peeling potatoes for dinner. It's nasty work. And do you know what? It is the work of Christ to deal with the sin in your life and mine. It is the work of Christ to make you willing to deal with sin in your life. He is the one, by the work of His Spirit, who opens your eyes, who enables you to see that you are sinful and to give you the will to confess it and to deal with it. It is the work of Christ to make you able to deal with sin in your life. And here, he wants to come alongside you and make you able, not just to deal with your own sin, but to deal with sin in your brother's life. Notice what he says in verse 5. You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. This is where the godless man is wrong. That man who says to you, you can't judge me. God says, don't judge anybody. And they use it in an absolute sense. Don't you ever, ever, ever dare make a judgment about another person. But is that what Jesus says? That there's an absolute 
command not to do that? No. Although we are bad judges by ourselves, the Lord Jesus Christ enables us to come alongside our brothers and help them with their sin. Jesus Jesus wants you to help your brothers who are caught in sin, to judge it rightly, to excavate it out of the heart. He wants you to do that. Look with me at Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Jesus wants you to come alongside the brother or the sister who is caught in a sin. The the word here that Paul uses is like a fish caught in a net. He wants you to come alongside, open the net, and help your brother gain freedom. How do you start doing that? You begin by removing the log from your own eye. The, the language is going back to Matthew chapter 7 is somewhat funny. Why do you see the speck, verse 3, that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your, uh, out of your eye, and behold, there is the log in your eye, but you cannot see it. How does Christ make us faithful to help a brother in sin? Well, he makes you faithful by enabling you first to deal with sin in your own life. You notice that the right objective in pointing out sin in a brother's life is to remove that sin. Not to make fun of him, not to make yourself feel better, not to pat yourself on the back to say, look, he's got that sin, but I don't. Look how good I am. The motivation is not just to point out the speck. It's not to tell others about your brother's speck, but to go to him to help him find forgiveness and victory over sin in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So we need to think about this for just a second. How do we, as faithful people in the body of Christ, how do we begin to prepare ourselves to help our brother or sister overcome sin? First of all, you have to depend on Christ to work through His Spirit. Look, look at Mark eight twenty five. <clears throat> then Jesus laid His hands on His eyes again, and He opened His eyes. His sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter 
the village. You see here, this is a picture of the way that Christ works in your life by His Holy Spirit. He opens your eyes. He enables you to see clearly. So the first thing that I acknowledge about myself is I'm, I'm not a good judge. I need the help of Christ. And in fact, my brother needs the same help. I, I cannot make you willing and I cannot make you able to deal with sin in your life. That is a work that Christ alone must do. So when we prepare ourselves to help others, we must go in dependency on Christ to work through His Spirit. You must recognize that in all your effort, you cannot take away the blindness upon your own eyes and you cannot remove it from your brother's eye. Every parent knows this. As much as we trust in physical discipline to help our children tr choose the right path in life, it is only the work of the Holy Spirit that ultimately enables them to see clearly, to see themselves as they really are, to see their sin. And so just as you pray for yourself you must ask Christ to remove the speck from your brother's eye. It is His work. Do you, do you see that? You cannot do it. You can point it out. You can walk with your brother. You can point him to Christ. But ultimately, this is the surgery that only the great physician can do. You can't do it. Are you praying for your brother who is in sin? One third thing, Christ enables us to have the right perspective. What is the right perspective for helping any other person who is caught in sin? The right perspective is this, that there is no greater sinner on the face of this earth than the one I look at in the mirror every day. You are not prepared to help anyone else overcome sin until you have the perspective that you are the greatest sinner that has ever lived. Didn't Paul say that this is the faithful confession that the whole church should make? I am the chief sinner. You are ready to assist your brother with his sin when you have that perspective. You will not assess anyone correctly, including yourself, until the Lord gives you this insight. Here Jesus teaches us that those who judge others wrongly bring judgment on themselves. But Christ is able to remove our blindness and make us better judges of ourselves and others. You will become a better judge of other men when you begin to judge your own self rightly. How much time, let me ask you, are you taking in your prayer to walk through the Ten Commandments? To say of yourself, I sinned there, I sinned there, I sinned there, I sinned there. And this is not with the objective of getting into heaven. It is with the objective of applying the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to myself in all the crevices of my life of evaluating myself, of knowing uh, that uh, I belong to Christ. Brothers and sisters, Christ is calling you here to begin with your own heart, to invite that great physician of the soul to come in, to shine his light on every corner of your house and show you where there is dust so that he may sweep it away, so that you may know his grace in new and abundant ways. 
You must ask Christ to remove the blindness of your own heart. The first thing that you must ask is, am I looking to Christ for forgiveness? Am I looking to Christ for forgiveness? Am I asking Him to show me my sin? Am I meditating on God's law so I may enter into the depths of my heart and pull out the rotten, stinking corruption that is there? That's what sanctification is. The fall has affected your eyesight. This is why we're on the mountain with Christ and this whole sermon is taking place to help you see. You and I are not able to see men's hearts. We're not. And we cannot judge them rightly. But the work of Christ through the Holy Spirit is to open your eyes so that you may seek forgiveness for yourself and help your brother to find it as well, to find the forgiveness that Christ offers. This is the ministry of reconciliation. Let's pray. Father, every Every heart that is here this morning is a heart that is quick to accuse and slow to forgive. Oh, how we love to nurse bitterness. We love it. We suck on it like it's a peppermint. And we allow bitterness to grow roots in our hearts. We withhold reconciliation from our brothers. Oh, we love, we love to talk about the grace of Christ. We love to talk about mercy, but we hate to show it. I love it when my brother sins against me because then I've got him. Father, forgive us. This is rotten. It is ugly. And Lord, we thank You that You don't judge us by the standards that we set up for ourselves. You are perfect. You are perfect in righteousness. You are perfect in justice. You will punish wickedness perfectly. And there is no righteous man who is clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ truly who will be condemned to an everlasting hell. You are perfect. And Father, we pray now, we pray now and ask You, shine Your light on us. Help every person who is here to see himself as the greatest sinner who has ever lived. So that we might be a body here at New Covenant, a body of people who are equipped, really equipped with the grace and the mercy of Christ and the wisdom of Christ to help each other find the peace of Christ that comes through the forgiveness of sins. We ask this for His sake. Amen.